The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. Hello, uh, my name is Sandeep Gidvani. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon. I practice in a private practice in the Bay Area in California. I'm Paul Gauz. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon in practice in, uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona in, in private practice. Uh, so our task today is to talk to you about how to choose between performing a lateral interbody fusion and a posterior interbody fusion. And uh, essentially our, our basis of this discussion is that we've already seen the patient and made the decision that we're going to do a fusion and we want to kind of talk through our process of how we decide whether to do the lateral versus posterior or a transforaminal lumbar interbody fusion. So. I'll just kind of give my perspective. When I'm seeing a patient like this and I've um, decided to do a fusion, as I'm going through the imaging review, including the MRI and the x-rays, uh, I tend to look for specific cues that will clue me in about whether or not a lateral interbody is even a possibility. Uh, so I'll use the AP radiograph to see where the pelvis sits with respect to the uh, disc level that I'm operating on and also look at the MRI and screen through the axial uh, sequences to look at the retroperitoneal area, uh, look for any uh, warning signs or danger signs, and then also focus in on the individual disc level to look at the vasculature uh, and the anatomy of the psoas, look for transitional anatomy or something abnormal that may limit my ability to access that disc space in a safe manner. Um, are there any other particular things you use in that initial um, screening process to determine whether or not to go lateral or posterior? And uh, particularly for, I do a lot of oblique lateral uh, fusion, so anterior to the psoas muscle, and looking at the axial uh, view of the MRI is really critical to look at where the vasculature is to make sure you're not getting uh, vessels starting to creep lateral where they might be uh, in play or in the way to do the surgery. Um, I also uh, really think of patient factors when I'm uh, thinking of doing posterior versus lateral. Um, I, I think that um, uh, in my experience, the patients with lateral fusions tend to fuse a little faster, and I think it, it's more robust fusion than a posterior inner body. So people who are higher demand, um, uh, younger, you know, somebody who wants to go back to playing golf or something like that in the near future is something sure. I want to make sure that they heal quicker. Uh, also looking at um, the degree of disc collapse and, and overall alignment, I think is important as well. Yeah, so I think that brings up an important concept, which is really you can use the indications of your fusion to guide your uh, decision making. So, for example, I will use lateral antibody fusions in the setting where I'm looking to address foraminal stenosis and it's a revision setting perhaps. If it's a revision setting and they've had prior posterior approaches with complications such as uh, durotomies, a pseudomeningocele, or an infection, really using a native space to gain height in the disc space or foraminal restoration is a nice way to do uh, this operation. Um, I agree with you, you know, other, other outside indications may be something like you're trying to address a coronal deformity um, in order to restore uh, not only their coronal balance but also their sagittal balance. Correct. And in a lateral approach, you can uh, do a release of the anterior longitudinal ligament if you need to, which really allows you to, to improve sagittal alignment much better than you ever can from a, uh, from a posterior-based approach. So it sounds like there's a lot of advantages to using the lateral approach, um, but that may be because historically the posterior approach was used and the lateral approach is uh, a more heavily utilized approach 
uh, currently. Let's talk a little bit about why or when we would think about a posture approach. For me, as you mentioned, the medical condition of the patient often plays a role. If I'm thinking about the amount of time they have under anesthesia and I want to limit that, or they don't tolerate a lateral position, or I know that I have to go midline to take care of severe stenosis and I'm going to do a midline decompression, then I might start to think about saving them time or saving them an additional incision instead doing it all posteriorly. What do yeah. you think about that? I agree. I, the, the patient factors, I think, are the big thing for me. Um, again, older patients, I'm trying to save time under anesthesia. Uh, we always have to be co cognizant of postoperative cognitive decline. Um, the, uh, um, uh, I agree, if you're going to be in the back and, and you're going to be decompressing them anyways, and, and somebody who's, again, a little bit older or maybe not, uh, not as healthy, uh, the amount of time to do a lateral and then flip and do a posterior decompression instrumentation is, is definitely longer, in, in, in my experience, than a posterior-only approach. Uh, I think that the, uh, um, uh, obviously, with the posterior interbody approach with vasectomy, you can deal with foraminal stenosis very well. Um, but I still don't think that you get as good of a, a restoration of disc space height, uh, and you don't get as, as good a segmental alignment as you will with, uh, with uh, anterior column reconstruction. Yeah, so I think that brings up another great point, which is the technology of the posterior antibody fusions has definitely advanced, right? So the, the historical thinking that this is a kyfo uh, kyphosing procedure and you're not able to uh, restore the balance as well uh, has been met with uh, the advances to make expandable antibodies from, from both techniques, but you can use a, a transframinal lumbar antibody fusion that's expandable, maybe able to use a bigger footprint, or you may be able to even rotate the cage into an anterior position to help restore some of that lordosis. Uh, so I think that technique has come uh, a long way since its inception. Yeah, and I think that there is uh, the, the disc preparation uh, for achieving a solid arthrodesis cannot be, uh, the importance of that cannot be understated. Uh, because at the end of the day, um, uh, we think that pseudoarthroses have an inferior long-term outcome compared to a, a solid arthrodesis. So um, you know, whatever your approach is, uh, making sure that you do a really uh, extensive disc prep is, uh, is critical and then followed by a, a very good bone grafting. And, and I've gone uh, much more into the anterior base cages, so you know, crescent-style cages uh, placed up against the anterior annulus because I feel like that allows me to uh, graft the space much better than, uh, than an oblique style cage uh, can. But you know, at the end of the day, it's what you're facile with and what you can, uh, um, what you can achieve good results with. Uh, definitely, and, and obviously don't hesitate to use not only the space for the cage, but also the additional space to pack bone graft in there, such as autograft, or, or what your individual choice is. Ultimately, I think it comes down to the patient. Again, the patient should be involved in the decision-making, so I use this decision-making between lateral and posterior inner body as an opportunity to involve the patient, and I let them tell me as well uh, if they have a preference for one versus two incision. Uh, we didn't talk a lot about post-operative expectations, but sometimes there's a difference uh, in the lateral approach when you have post-operative paresthesias or potential temporary weakness versus uh, you may encounter that depending on how much traction there is on the exiting nerve root when you place an interbody fusion. So just other things to keep in mind for the patient and always involve the patient in that decision-making process. Yeah, again, I think um, when I think of the pros of each individual approach, pros to me are lateral are uh, fusion speed, um, the, uh, the t uh, obviously the time to achieve successful arthrodesis um, and alignment issues. The, the pros for a posterior-based approach are it's a single uh, approach, uh, 
and um, uh, you're doing a direct decompression there. Obviously, you can combine a lateral with a direct decompression, but then uh, you're, you're taking a longer period of time. 